0: Well today, it feels kind of weird to say this, it's New Year's Eve, because it's the morning. It's like the morning of New Year's Eve. And many of us, we will spend a day like today, and maybe we've already been doing it, uh, reflecting. Reflecting on the past year, some of our highlights, and also looking forward to the things we are excited about. It's a day of transition from this year into next year's. And... um, For some of us, that's like a really great thing. There's an excitement that we have as we look forward to 2024. And for some of us, it's an excitement because we just can't wait for this year to finish. It's been one of those years, and for some reason, the number changing makes you feel like things are going to change or you're hopeful about that. Uh, There's this aspect of waiting that we have, waiting for something to end and waiting for something else to begin, and that's really central to being a human being. As teens, we wait for the day we can can go and get our driver's license. We wait for the day that we finally graduate. As adults, we wait for the day we graduate university or finally get our ticket in a trade. Some of us find ourselves waiting for grandkids. Some of us find ourselves waiting for kids or for a spouse. And others are just waiting for a new job or a new friends group. Others are waiting for doctor's reports, treatments, and answers to what's going on with our health. The hard thing about waiting is it forces us to admit that we don't have as much control over our lives as we'd like to think we have. There's this guy's name's Christian Dawson. He says, uh, waiting is this, it's waiting equals unmet desires plus time. Unmet desires plus time equals waiting. The experience of waiting is what often gets called living in the gap, And many of us know what that's like to live in that gap. And as it turns out, Scripture is full of people living in the gap. People waiting on God for the things they don't have control over. Christmas is as much about God coming to us in the birth of Jesus as it is about waiting for God. Christ has come and yet he will return. And when he returns, he will make everything new. He'll wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no sickness, no death. Everything sad will come untrue. And today what we're going to look at is a story of someone who waits. It's a story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. It captures this dynamic of waiting on God, and it highlights this hope of how we might live as we wait on God. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 35. So it's like right after the birth of Jesus, the shepherds coming in, all that stuff. you just go a little bit past that, you'll find the story of Simeon. This is what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for this moment. And we ask that you would quiet all the voices and thoughts running through our minds this morning. And we ask you to open our eyes to see you, to see your kindness. We ask for faith to embrace you and strength to live life full of wonder and praise of what you've done and what you will do. And to leave a blessing wherever we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look at this story of Simeon. And one of the thoughts that comes up for me as we look at this is how the Spirit enables us to faithfully wait on God. The Holy Spirit enables us to faithfully wait on God. As we've gone through this Christmas season, we've asked this question, what happens when people encounter Jesus? What kind of response does the birth of Jesus bring about? We see Mary's posture of surrender. We see Joseph, his heart for righteousness and his desire to obey God. The Magi's yearning to worship the infant king. The shepherds are filled with praise at what they have seen, that they've been written into God's redemptive story. And Simeon offers us another response to embrace him to embrace Jesus to praise God and to bless Mary and Joseph and one of the things that comes up though is like who, who is Simeon we aren't told a ton but we are told some things Simeon was probably a member of the Jewish Council he lived in Jerusalem he was righteous meaning he cared about being rightly related to God and to others he was devoted to God he longed for the consolation of Israel Although Israel was no longer stuck in Babylon as captives of the Babylonian Empire, they had returned to the land that God had promised them, but they weren't free. They were living under Roman rule. And as far as Israel was concerned, the reason they had been exiled in the first place was because of their ongoing sin and rebellion against God. So now that they had returned to this land, they weren't exactly free, they were waiting for liberation from their oppressor. And so Simeon and all of Israel were living in this gap where they're like, we're in the land, but we're not exactly experiencing it the way we thought we would when we returned. Something is off. What's going on? Simeon knew the story of Scripture. He lived in the Scriptures, so he knew that God had promised that one day he would, see, that he would send the Messiah, a descendant of the king of David, who would establish the good, true, and just rule of God on earth. And at that time, evil would be dealt with, sin would be undone, and death would be no more. That's what Simeon was expectantly waiting for. That's Israel's consolation. And God had revealed by the Spirit to Simeon that he would not die before the Messiah was born, that he would actually see the Messiah with his own eyes. Now, the thing that strikes me about Simeon, though, is how does Simeon recognize that Jesus, the infant, is the Messiah. Or put more simply, how is Simeon able to see the faithfulness of God in such a small and little thing in front of him? How is Simeon able to see the faithfulness of God in such a small little thing? Simeon sees God's goodness and faithfulness in the small and insignificant Jesus is the embodiment of God's faithfulness. Every promise of God fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is God's faithfulness. And as soon as Simeon sees Jesus, he picks him up and embraces him and praises God and blesses Mary and Joseph. How? How does Simeon do this? It's not because standing in the temple gave him a special insight to be able to recognize him. There were many other people in the temple that day. None of them were saying, hey, look, the Messiah is right before me in this little child. So how, how is it that that happens? Well, three times we're told in this really short passage something about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rested on Simeon. The Spirit was on him. The Spirit revealed to him and the Holy Spirit moved him to go to the temple. And in the span of about three verses, you just see that sequence. It's the Spirit that leads Simeon to recognize Jesus, that enables him to praise God in thankfulness and to bless Mary and Joseph. The Spirit teaches us who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is, we're told, in John chapters 14 through to 16, the helper the, or the advocate, the comforter. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity, And he is constantly at work in the world. Revealing Jesus to people, making Jesus real to people, convicting people of their sin, leading people towards truth, bringing uh, to mind the things that Jesus has taught us. And the end result is recognizing the faithfulness, the goodness, and the kindness of God. That leads to this thankfulness. Paul will say in Ephesians 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, what's striking about this, the, these words from Paul is that he's speaking to Christians, people who already have the Spirit. And he's saying be filled with the Spirit. There's this uh, idea that we need to be on an ongoing basis filled with the life of God. And what he suggests is that what flows from a life regularly filled with the Holy Spirit is a way of being that praises and sings to God, give thanks to God in community. Those of you who know me and have known me for a while will know when i was 19 year old, i had this uh powerful encounter with god and it's hard to fully describe but i met him he already knew me but i really encountered him that day I, I sensed his presence he was present with me and it was powerful and it changed my life it changed me it caused me to recognize his faithfulness in my life throughout my life his faithfulness in my errors in my wandering, in my insecurities, his faithfulness in my fears, in my story, his faithfulness in my education, in my home, in my family. And it's the Spirit who enabled me to see God's kindness, and it filled me that day with joy and a hunger for life with God. It didn't take away all my problems, though. It didn't take away the challenges I was facing. It didn't magically heal all the broken ways of relating to others that I was living in. It didn't heal me of all my wounds in one fell swoop. But God did breathe life into my lungs. He brought light into the dark recesses of my heart. He brought joy into despairing and, uh, into a despairing and fearful heart. He poured living water into a dry and weary soul. He revived a weak and sleepy disciple. And that's what the Spirit does in our lives. So this week, here's what I thought about as I thought about Simeon and his life and this little moment, this glimpse. We're not told a ton about him, but we see this moment and the joy he has as he encounters Jesus. Like Simeon, we live in a world being transformed because of Jesus' arrival. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel has come, and in him the kingdom of God has arrived. Heaven has begun to invade earth. And because of his life and his death and resurrection, death no longer has its sting. It's lost its sting. Sin doesn't hold the same power over the cosmos like it did before. Satan doesn't have the same authority because of Jesus. God, through Jesus, has begun to put things to rights by defeating these great enemies and rescuing us from them. And so every time we see people put their trust in Jesus, we'll see, we'll see healing and forgiveness released in their lives. We see joy and peace erupt in their lives. We see people, families, and whole communities begin to be changed. But we also see in Simeon something else. Like Simeon, we live in the gap between the promises of God and their fulfillment. God promises to make all things new. That when Jesus returns, he will finally and decisively make everything sad become untrue. That he will wipe away every tear from every eye. That sickness and death and evil will be no more. And the glory of God dwelling with his people will eliminate the need for any other light. Jesus calls his followers to live in light of that kingdom that he has established to live into that vision of reality and here's what that means for you and I then we're caught in this waiting between what he has done and is doing and the completion of it we await the renewal of all things we await Jesus's return we are caught trusting in his promises and in the waiting we feel this tension we have a desire to wait with this full expectation of future good that comes from Jesus, but we also feel this pull towards fear and despair. Because Jesus has come, we, we feel like we should be hopeful. And yet when we look around the Earth, uh, all around the Earth, it still groans in grief, sadness and frustration, as the "un," as we see this unending it feels like. Presence of evil, suffering, and sin in the world. It's still there. If Jesus has come, why do we still see these things? Why do we still hear about them? The world groans in waiting for his return. And you and I get caught in this tension of waiting. As followers of Jesus, we live in in this world where there's this heralding and spreading of the news of the brokenness that exists such that it's that threatens to steal the hope, the joy, and peace that Christ brings. It's like this mass of fog that obscures and makes you unable to see what's five feet ahead of you. It makes you unable to see the big picture. And that fog is like our awareness of evil, suffering, and sin. And its apparent wide-scale effects leave us feeling like hope and joy and peace are these inappropriate things to live with in this world. It almost feels like it's wrong to feel that. But there's a lie here when we believe that. And it's twofold. One is that being hopeful, joyful, and full of peace betray people who are suffering injustice right now. It's a betrayal of them and what they're going through when we actually live in this joy, this this kind of hope. And so we might even feel guilt at that. But the second lie is that joyful thanksgiving and sorrow are mutually exclusive. You are not betraying people suffering injustice right now if you have joy and hope and peace. The reason for your hope is that Jesus Christ is, is God among us who's come to free us to set us free from the brokenness within us and to deal with the brokenness between us and unite us to God himself. You are not betraying people who are suffering right now. The reason you're joyful at a time like this is because you've encountered Jesus. And instead of judgment, you discovered mercy. Instead of condemnation, you received love. Jesus gave you a new identity, a child of God, fully known, accepted, and loved. He has this way of making his love for you feel so unique and personal and yet at the same time fully available to anyone who would receive it. You're not betraying people who are suffering right now. The reason you have this peace is because you've surrendered control over the things you never had power over anyways. The difference is you've given them over to Jesus' capable hands. And that kind of surrender actually leads to rest, to wholeness because you're not carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. But that second lie remains, that idea that joyful thanksgiving and sorrow are mutually exclusive and they're not, that's just not true. And perhaps the best picture and argument against that is Jesus himself, a man of sorrows and one who prays on an ongoing uh, basis for your joy to be overflowing, for your joy to be made complete. Jesus shows us a life where sorrow and joy coexist. Jesus' life shows us a life of living in the gap. And that living in that gap, waiting, will include both joy and sorrow. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is this understanding that we will have to integrate both sorrow and joy in our life because there's sorrow over the evil and suffering and death we see, but there's also this joy at recognizing the goodness and faithfulness of God. And one of the things that we, I've thought about is how we're here this morning because the Spirit led us and has, is leading us to Jesus, and he continues to speak and guide people towards himself. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the Spirit doesn't just rest on you. The Spirit actually makes His home in you. God wants to dwell in us. And this is why Paul will write in Ephesians 3 this prayer, a beautiful prayer for the people of God. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We've been given the Spirit, and yet God desires to fill us to the measure of all the fullness. He has come, and he has done this work, and yet we know there's more that he has to do in this world and in our lives. And one of the things that I thought would be helpful is we just think through Simeon's life in this moment where he sees Jesus and he recognizes the faithfulness of God, the fulfillment of some of the promises of God, is just thinking through, he has come. We just celebrated that he's come in Christmas. And we know what he's done in many of our lives. But I think it's worth actually asking, especially for those of us who are feeling tired and weary of waiting on him, for him to show up, is to ask, where have you seen the Lord's goodness this year? Where have you seen the Lord's goodness this year? There's this positive feedback loop that comes with actually recognizing his goodness and then giving thanks for it. As the Holy Spirit shows you his goodness, your joy, your trust, your confidence in him while you wait increases. Because you're like, if he's been faithful to me like this, how can I not trust him as I wait on this next thing? Susie Silk, she states, gratitude has a way of, I always get this, wrong word, this word wrong. Someone want to help me with it? Boying, okay, thank you. Gratitude has a way of buoying you. It returns you to the rock of salvation. It draws you back into relationship with Jesus. It helps you acknowledge that God is still working and cares for you, even if you don't see the full picture yet. And as we do it for everything, we'll soon find that gratitude becomes our operating system in all circumstances. Where have you seen the Lord's goodness to you this year? as we wait on the lord it's so healthy for us to acknowledge the ways in which he's met us the ways in which He's sustained us the ways in which he's provided and showed up praising him and thanking him doesn't eliminate the pain the grief the suffering we've gone through or that others go through it just acknowledges the ways he's shown up and so often when i finally do stop and slow down enough to let myself reflect on the ways he's been faithful I find I'm filled with gratitude and more faith as I wait. I'm filled with more peace and confidence about what he's doing while I wait. In June, Lindsay and I celebrated five years here at Cascades. And that encouraged us to just reflect on a few things. One of the things that uh, I thought about as I thought about where we have we seen the Lord's goodness as a community, as a church, actually happened in June as well. It was with Milan, With Milan getting baptized. He had this powerful encounter with the Lord as he would just come on Sundays. And if you don't know his story, it's so cool because prayer has been central to his story even before he met the Lord. Every Wednesday, we would go out as a church and go on these prayer walks in the neighborhood. And the street that he and him and his family used to live on was the street we would pray on the most. And we would pray that the Lord would lead people to himself and that he would use our church as one of the churches in the city to bless and help people. He started coming, and it just so happened he came when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. So he's hearing about who Jesus is and the kingdom that he brings and what he is like. And as that happens, he's like, man, this Jesus person is amazing. Uh, slowly over time, he starts to take communion. And I asked him one day, yeah, like, hey, Milan, like, you know, taking communion usually identif- means you identify as like a follower of Jesus. Would you say you are? He's like, if, if it's what the things that, that we're talking about on Sundays, the things we're trying to do, yeah, it is. I am. And if you fast forward up at Anvil, the Lord was moving in his life when we did our, our church retreat. And as he was working through some of the things that the Lord was saying to him, actually, Lindsay kind of put together, because I'm a little bit slower, she's like, I think the Lord's calling him to get baptized. And... Uh, so I just shared that with Milan. Milan, and I'm like, how does that sit with you? And he's like, I think that's, that's what I actually need to do. That's my next step. So we walked through that and prayed through that a little bit. And then in June, Milan was finally baptized. But there was this process of a few years of the Lord working in his life, of us loving them, welcoming them in, them becoming part of our church family. And when they left, there was this bittersweet thing where we know it's for the best, and we miss them but we also get to see this goodness of the Lord that he's still drawing people to himself, that he's still renewing lives, that he's still bringing transformation. This, to me, was one of those moments of the Lord's goodness. The retreat up at Anvil in June was another one. We just had amazing weather. We had wonderful food, great conversations, and it was a great chance for some of us to slow down for the first time in a long time and just connect with one another and with the Lord. This year, we also saw the goodness of God as he answered our prayer to expand our children's ministry from one class to two. These kids, you can't have these nine-year-olds with like a -a year-and-a-half-year-old. Things start to get kind of haywire. All all you children's ministry volunteers know. And so um, we needed to uh, multiply and add another class. And the response from you has been beautiful in seeing people step into those roles, some of us for the first time. But it's been neat to see the kids get excited about wanting to be part of Sunday school and to know that our story here at Cascades has often revolved around the Lord meeting kids, drawing kids to himself. In, this, in September, we launched two new community groups. These are people who said, let's follow Jesus together. One, I get the privilege of, of hosting with Sandra and Elizabeth and Lindsay in our home. And one of the things that I've loved is seeing this increased level of vulnerability, of closeness in our community, and it's actually begun to inform more of my prayers for our church because we just share life with one another. In November, we went through the month of generosity. And one of the things that I got the privilege of doing this year, usually Ron gets to do this, but I got to deliver the backpacks of hope that you guys put together to look out Society. And so I got to deliver 12 of these backpacks to Lookout Society for people who are struggling through homelessness right now. It, we also, I also got to deliver 12 gift cards to Journey Home Community so that fa- new families who are settling here in Vancouver, who are refugees, that get to buy gifts for their kids, for their family members for Christmas. And that's made possible because of you. Because you responded and said, I want to actually express the love and generosity of God. To me, these are these moments where I got to see the goodness of God at work in us and through us. I often experience the goodness of God as I interact with you. A number of you are encouragers. It's like your gift. You encourage through words or prayers. And I often see this genuine faith in you as well, where you take Jesus at his word and you just want to follow him and it encourages me so much it challenges me even and these are just a few things that i've seen the, of the lord's goodness in our community where have you seen the lord's goodness in your life this year one of the things about simeon is that it shows us is that god gives us the spirit and the spirit is actively at work in our community and is actively pointing us to Jesus, to see him and recognize him. And each day we have this opportunity, this choice to decide if we'll follow his promptings. Simeon could have ignored the prompt from the Holy Spirit to go into the temple. He wasn't forced to go. He was moved to go, and he did. He went. Joseph and Mary, they weren't forced to go to the temple either. They went to present Jesus to the Lord and dedicate him to the Lord. And there in this confluence of human will and the divine purpose, the Holy Spirit drew them together. To show Simeon God's faithfulness, to bless Mary and Joseph, and to glorify God. And the uniting factor in all of this is Jesus, the Lord's Messiah. He's at the center of it. He's the Savior who sets us free. He is the Savior who has come to reclaim what rightfully belongs to him, humanity. And Jesus is the Savior who's come to restore our hearts and our minds and our bodies, to heal those broken relationships with one another, ourselves, and with others. Simeon, he'll proclaim, my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's looking at Jesus. Can you see your salvation? Can you see what Jesus has done? Can you see the work that he's longed to do in your life and has been doing, not just in your life, but in our community? Your waiting isn't in vain. Your waiting is not just waiting in this unfaithful God. You're trusting in love incarnate. You are trusting in God's empowering presence. And so let me ask you, where have you seen the Lord's goodness to you? I'm actually going to give you a chance to answer. So if you've been getting sleepy, now's your